Hey book fans, welcome to Momo's Bookcase, a podcast where we dive into the books of our childhood and see if they still hold up today. Our guest for this episode is Alex DiVirgilio. He is a director of an early childcare center and spends a lot of his time there reading children's books. In his spare time, he plays music and does comedy around Chicago. He has always read a lot and his favorite book is a hard question to answer, but always comes back to reread The Phantom Toll Booth by Norton Juster. Just a heads up, there's a section where the audio is a little garbly and you may hear a few yips from Alex's best dog pal, Dodger. Enjoy. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun already. Yeah. Uh, I love that I have never said Norman Juster Juster's name out loud. So apologies if I got that. I, I've never said it out loud either. Um, it just falls into that category of things that I've only ever seen written down. Yep. And if I can ever avoid saying them out loud, I will. And yet here we are. Well, I guess I said it. you didn't have to. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Oh man, I I'm so excited to talk about this uh, string of books. Yeah. Oh yeah. I we put in extra work for this episode, so get ready, y'all. Um, so let's start off this show as we always do with uh, what are you reading right now, or what did you just finish reading? Yeah. Um, I have developed a terrible habit of reading multiple things at the same time. Um, and so currently. I'm reading an oral history of Saturday Night Live um, by James Andrew Miller and Tom Shales, okay. which is really interesting. Um, it's fun to hear in everybody's words, especially for those years that Lauren wasn't involved. Um, what was the show like and what have the hosts been like and how has the writing kind of evolved over the years and the atmosphere around 30 Rock evolved over the years. Um, it's just really funny you get into, especially like the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, everybody's <laughs> quoted at least once as saying, yeah, I don't know how they did it in the 70s because uh, <laughs> I never would have been able to keep that work pace up now. Um, also reading uh, Southside by Natalie Moore. Okay. Uh, which is a great read about just the development um and growth of the south side of chicago over uh really since around world war ii um through the present which is really interesting yeah and then uh wow you were not kidding about multiple books i'm not kidding i wish i was i'm not um it's also that's not funny how the right makes comedy work for them and it's an analysis on right-wing comedians and the methodology behind how they approach comedy and how they go through stand-up. Um, and I, something that was really interesting that the book brings up is that um, the Fox News and the right wing of the political spectrum um, has Gutfeld, which is their equivalent of late night, a late night show or a daily show. But it routinely pulls in more watchers than any of the individual late night shows, like the Late Show, the Tonight Show. Um, but it's I also didn't know that it, was a thing. That's wild. yeah, right. Like we would never have heard of it, but they have significantly less. Um, there's a word that I'm looking for. We've kind of watered down 
um, the liberal uh -huh. aspect of, of comedy. So there's so many different places you can go. If you don't like Kimmel, you can go turn into Seth Meyers. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're right-leaning, then you really only have one place to go. And so they have a lot of the numbers, just yeah. sheer numbers. It's not as diluted because they only have one thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's very it's really intriguing and makes me so nervous. Wow! About everything. Uh, yeah, that's wow. I've learned so much. Um, <laughs> amazing. I know. I just like things I didn't know existed today. Uh, learning all the time. Love to see it. Um, I had high hopes that when I was doing this podcast that I would have like a new book every episode. But I'm human. And I'm still reading uh, the newest Talia Hibbert book that I talked about on a different episode. Uh, Someone mentioned a book that I'm looking forward to called Lessons in Chemistry. Um, I'll let you, yeah, it's it's been on like, I get a lot of emails from bookshop.org, uh, which is a great place to support independent bookshops uh, online. If you want to do online shopping, that isn't Amazon, so check it out. Uh, and their emails are great because just hit up like, they're kind of like, here are great books that are coming in general. Um, and so this yeah. has been in their email for a long time. So I'm looking forward. It's not out yet, I don't think. Oh, no. Maybe it is out. It is out. I'm just kidding. I think it came out last year. Uh, it did. It came out last year, but I'm excited to read it. Um, yeah. All right. That was a whole rambling of books that are on my <laughs> to read list. Um, Alex, you want to introduce, I guess, like the main book? Yeah, um, absolutely. I'd love to. So I, when you asked me about um, popping on the podcast, the one series of books that I, I read through as a, a teen, um, as a kid through teens, because it took so long for all of them to come out, um, was the Animorphs series, mm -hmm. um, written by K.A. Applegate and ghost written by several others. Um, and just a, a quick background for the folks who aren't maybe familiar um, with this story. It's about um, five teens and one alien who um, are granted the ability to uh, morph into animals as part of a an ongoing intergalactic war. And then they find out that their home planet of Earth, um, shout out to Earth, love living here. Um, <laughs> is under an invasion by aliens known as Yerks who are slugs and they crawl into um, people's brains and take them over and they become controllers. And so uh, the whole series is about these individuals and how they go about conducting a guerrilla war on earth because they don't know who, who they can trust. Um, they don't know who might be a controller. They have to keep their identity a secret and they waste no time at the beginning of every book um, filling you in on what their yeah. first name is, but they'll never tell you their last name. Yeah. And... Um, the end of the of the the book we're talking about today, which is the the solution, which is number twenty two. Uh, I guess we'll we'll get into I because I have it's it, it's features to bias, and I just I have like things that I uh, <laughs> from my childhood about Tobias. I have issues or. But also, <laughs> he's an inherently terrifying character, just the mm -hmm. way that they handle him um, throughout the course of the series. Yeah, and I, yeah, okay, so my feelings are not misplaced. Um, no, and especially, and we'll touch on it when we get to the end of, of especially book 22, um, 
it's what happens to Tobias sort of happens on purpose, but it's his choice. Uh -huh. Yep. And then they are able to they weaponize it at the end of um the book twenty two and it's horrifying. Yeah, it's 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 somehow darker than what I thought was gonna happen, if that makes sense. And I think was because I know we've talked a little bit, um I haven't read these books in probably about twenty years now. Um and I there were so many things I did not pick up on as a yeah. kid that stuck out to me more now as an adult and really um it's generally terrifying for yeah. me there are things that really may haunt me for a lot longer than they did when yeah. i was a kid reading it like um there's things that don't quite stick in a kid's brain um yeah. when you're reading these things that you're like you know yeah. i guess i knew that this is what happened but i never fully considered the implications yeah of what this meant for everybody involved so before we get too far into the book let me just give a little background on the animorphs um so the animorph series is published from 1996 to 2001 there are 54 books in the original series and 10 like companion books like the megamorphs some other ones that kind of go with them uh and now there's there's some cool graphic novels of some of the earlier books which is cool uh she co-authored these books with her husband michael grant he seems like he worked on a lot of the books with her because um, she also authored the Everworld series uh, and the Making Out series, uh, which, <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, are like a teen or preteen romance novel series that I like ate up and my mother hated that I read them, but like I have so many of them. Um, and there was a short-lived Nickelodeon series uh, from 1998 to 2000, about 26 episodes. And I was talking to friends about it, and they remember it being not very good. Uh, but that's, I don't remember a lot of the episodes. I, I, the only thing I really remember about it is that it prominently starred um, Sean Ashmore. Yes. Of um, X-Men series. Um, was Iceman in that. I recently saw him in the most recent season of The Boys on Amazon Prime. Um, in the most recent season. Uh but yeah, he plays Jake, one of the 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 leader, leader. de facto leader. Yeah. Um, That's so funny. I because I looked at his face, I was like, I don't know where he's from. That's right, uh, X Men fame. Um, I also I had a computer game. Um, I had a PC game for Animorphs growing up that I. I think I got it out of a cereal box. Um, wow. Back when they used to put PC games in cereal boxes and it was <laughs> a real pain in the butt to play the graphics were not the best um what year was i that played it a ton and i really i tried so hard but uh it was much harder than i think it needed to be it was like early 2000s then around that time mm -hmm. maybe early 2000s oh, yeah. whoa yep oh no okay uh <laughs> so uh for this episode alex made me do a lot of work he had me read three whole books to get to the one book he wanted to talk a about. a lot of leg work on this one. It's so much work. I literally, one of the books literally had to borrow from an actual elementary school because I could not find it. Uh, so... <laughs> oh, so, I, I cheated and I found the PDFs online. I know. I like a paper book. It, it was, I could have been easier for myself, but I really, it was there. 
I was like working at a school and in a classroom and the teacher's like, yeah, you can borrow that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, so the book that Alex wanted to talk about is uh, The Solution, which is number 22. Uh, but we also read The Discovery, The Threat to go along with the lead up to this. It's a three book arc in the middle of this series. Um, which is, I'm going to just briefly run down like 20 and 21. Um, yeah. So the trilogy centers around this new kid david so uh in the 20th book we meet or we see marco um discovers this kid has found the blue box that gave them their animal powers um and because uh this kid david tries to like sell the box on the internet uh and he times uh, out an email to go out i was gonna ask was that a technology we had back then because i don't think we did he would have had to like get home and plug his modem in and <laughs> the amount of times that they referenced uh, in the course of these books plugging their computer into the internet and <sighs> using dial up um, but it... it's a different time <laughs> i never uh, i've never had reason to send out a timed email uh, especially in the, like, i not in, not in 1998 no <laughs> Um, so he goes to sell the blue box on the internet, and of course, uh, the Yerks and controllers come to his home. Uh, Mr. Three breaks in, so they have to make him an Animorph to, I guess, like, save his life, but also, like, make sure he doesn't tell anybody. It's because kind of like they, a... uh, they capture his parents. Yes, uh, that's right. So now he, uh, he can't go home anymore. They know that he has the box, and they know that he is, um, the enemy knows that he is being hidden mm -hmm. by the Animorphs. Yes. Um, they don't know our humans. Yes, they think they're uh, Andalites. Andalite uh, bandits. Yes, that's uh, right. Um, they don't know that they're a bunch of like teens just hanging out with these powers. Um, so then in 21, we realize uh, how horrible David is as a human. Like, just a oh. terrible, terrible person. Uh, he crosses so many lines uh, over the course. Um, this, oh my goodness! Yes, of all three of these books. And there's um, there's a B and a C plot, which I vaguely remembered the B plot. I did not remember the C plot, which is arguably the most. We'll get there soon, but it's arguably the most horrifying part of book twenty two. But the B plot involves um, all the world leaders of the six, oh, yeah. the six most powerful countries on Earth <laughs> are are meeting here, um, and, and one of them's already a controller, but we don't yeah. know which one. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to come talk about the Middle East. They're just going to go and talk all, about it, and then maybe also, together. yeah, it might get infected by more East. more Yurks. We don't know. Mm -hmm. oh. um, and then in twenty one. <laughs> They introduce the C plot where Jake's cousin um, is hit by a car, um, and you kind of wonder what that's all about. But at least in the twenty one, it gives him an excuse to like, oh, here's how I can get out of the house because my parents are out of town with um, our family because our cousin was just hit by a, a car and is yeah. doing very badly, um, which is rough. Yeah. Um... So in these three books, and then we'll dive into the, the last one, uh, the first one is narrated by 
uh, or it's first person from Marco's perspective, which I'm glad because had I met, oh, I guess, well, well, had I met Marco in book three, I would have disliked him a lot. Um, uh, I forgot to ask you, which I always do, like, so, uh, what are your memories of these books? Where we dive into 22, like, what are you, um, how, yeah, how were they in your life? How did you feel about them? Oh, it. It was so much fun. Um, it was a sci- it was a sci fi story that was accessible for me as a kid. Um, I vividly remember the covers of the books. I think the covers might be the thing that sticks out in pop culture the most. They always had yep the transformation from human to animal on the cover, <laughs> and then if you flip through the pages in the corner, the bottom corner of the book, you could see it. It was just a little flip book and you could see it happen. Um, But I, I remember um, it it just had so much lore to it. Um, And I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but I just remember it being really exciting. Like, Oh, this was such creative problem solving. Like what, animal are they going to find to creatively solve their problem Mm -hmm. and use in a morph this time um are they you know is everybody going to make it out of this one okay you know is um throughout the course of of the series um you find out that more and more of their family members uh are controllers you find out um you know especially towards the end um the last few books especially everything kind of spills out into the open, but it's always, most of the books are, are usually self-contained, um, self-contained stories. So you don't get a lot of crossover. And this was the first time and we're 20, 20 books in, this is really the first time where they've kept a longer running narrative over the course of three books. But I remember, you know, (laughs) this was like a weird organizing thing for me. But you knew when the books were coming out, every number was corresponded to a different Animorph. Like uh, Marco was always books that ended in five or ten. Um, Jake was always books that ended in, I think, one and six. Is it in order, um, right? Numer- like this yeah, they rotated it through. Uh-huh. Um, and especially once they added uh, Axe, who is the alien they find who's the brother of the alien that gave them the morphing powers um they they find him trapped in a ship in the bottom of the ocean in like book four um and then they're able to add him to the rotation so every six books it uh rotates through um but i just remember it being fun i remember like the characters were you could always kind of tell what character was going to do what? Marco was always comic relief, so you knew if it was serious with him, uh-oh, it must be really serious. Uh, Jake was always the responsible leader. Rachel was always like, I'm I'm gung-ho. I want to, like, punch first and ask questions later. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie was always the, the calm, um, more emotionally in touch mm-hmm. um, Animorph. Um, and then it's worth... I guess we should talk about Tobias for a minute. Um... Okay, because this this is where I okay so <laughs> yeah yes they started I, early in book three yeah I read these and I really I liked them a lot they're kind of weird really into it and then um, Tobias gets trapped in a red tail hawk form they have to uh, demorph after two hours or before two hours or they get stuck and Tobias got stuck in this form 
and it freaked me out so hard that I did not read another book after that. Like I just I pieced out. I was like, nope, I'm out. I can't. Nope. It is. It's also worth pointing out. It was his choice. Um, he actively chose to trap himself because um, it was something where he he was an orphan and he didn't his have parents died. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't have a good home life. He didn't really have much of a home and his rationale behind it was now he he was free and they mm. something worked out where they were able to get him the morphing power back yeah so he could never go back to if he ever decided to go back to human and stay he'd never be able to morph again mm -hmm. but he now has at least the ability as a hawk yeah because be he does do it in this book i guess i didn't uh, realize that as a kid i just realized like the danger of like not be able to change again and then i just yeah. did not read any more books i was like no because i'm even as an adult i'm like if i Especially, think that it's gonna happen i'm like i'm out <laughs> and i think it really sets the stakes too of having a character get stuck like that so early mm -hmm. so you know like oh they're not they're they'll follow through on this um she's <laughs> not the one thing i'll say about ka applegate is she really doesn't pull any punches no. um, in these books they no. touch on the the darkness a lot of the time of like what it means to be involved in a war and kind of what it's like when you're never able to shut that off or when you're always kind of in a flight or fight mode how does that impact your ability to relate to everybody around you um and the thing with the animals is there's there's always this disconnect between them and what's happening like what should be happening and it's so bizarre to see that with such a 90s dialogue, I wrote down, there were a bunch of 90s phrases I wrote down. Um, like, oh, uh, there was a line in book 22, we charged like some Mondo Frigo version of Gettysburg. Whoa. Mondo oh, Frigo. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, these oh. do feel very 90s to me. Uh, and that I feel like it's gonna sound weird in the nineties. We're just kind of like left on our own a lot. Uh, I don't think the world was, or we didn't. I guess we didn't know how scary the world was, or maybe it wasn't as scary when we were kids. But like, just the idea that this like band of teenagers are just like out and about, and no one's checking up on them. It's so interesting. Um, because the, mm -hmm. in, the internet hadn't been fully formed in the way that it is today so you don't you still while well, you had that access to that information um like newspapers weren't really online that much like there there was information mm -hmm. but you really had to know what you were looking for versus now i think a, a big difference about animorphs now that i i don't know that I'd be interested to see how it could happen today, Camera. especially with yeah. everybody having mm -hmm. um, cell phones around cameras everywhere. They'd have to be so much yeah. more careful about how they morph. Um, but also, I think it's a lot easier to be left on your own when you're not constantly kind of inundated with yeah. everything terrible happening all at once. Like, I don't know, my parents, when I was growing up, would have been as nervous um yeah to leave us alone, yeah i don't think i'm that, sure parents this would have gone down the now. same this year <laughs> if we did this um <laughs> so in this book uh it's come to their they've become aware they're gonna have to deal with david um yes um 
we're getting into book 22 and at the very end of book 21 um so we'll we'll kind of lead this in they've already had one failed attempt um yes. to get to this summit um they were it was they were a trap i wrote down it was a hologram inside of a hologram and then several pages later i was yes. like no 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 wait it's a hologram inside of yes. a hologram inside of a hologram it's a trap um they were hologram sectioned and it it just didn't work out and then david they've been hiding him because they know that everybody's on the lookout for him he escapes and they think at the end of book 21 that he has killed tobias and um jake finally they get to go one-on-one -on -one with each other um, because david has acquired a lion morph mm -hmm. and jake has always had a tiger morph um and so they're on top of the mall and earlier in the book 21 david had thrown it out casually to jake like man sure do wish we could figure out who would win in a fight between a lion and a tiger and so they finally get their moment to go head to head such foreshadowing and the book book 21 ends with um jake being shattered through the sky like glass of the mall um david might be around but he has sent uh axe to go get rachel because if tobias is dead he thinks that rachel is going to be able to do what none of the animorphs have necessarily the constitution yeah. to be able to do um and they hint at it but they don't explicitly say it and this is something that we can kind of dive right into book 22 with because it bothers rachel so much throughout the course of the book she really has this internal well, struggle with like why did you ask for me why did you get me well, the thing more that she than also anybody like, like with over her everybody own else darkness like she acknowledges that she yeah is the one who's always up for a fight and she's like does this make me a monster and i think maybe even is it make her closer to david than to her other friends I think this is, it's something where Kay Applegate really tries to draw that line there because David, throughout the course of the book, isn't very conflicted about this. This is, mm -hmm. as far as he's concerned, this is practical for him. Um, but Rachel's like, she's just really struggling with the fact that her own cousin has asked her for her to yeah. specifically come here in case we need to yeah. kill someone. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't really help herself too because um, later david acquires marco um and leaves marco locked up in his own closet and tied up um and he acquires marco so he meets them at school while he's morphed into marco which is a it's a big no for them they don't like to morph into other humans if they can help it um they consider it I mean, some yeah kind of and form for, of identity for david theft. like it is about um, it is about stealing and riches and money and not about saving the yeah. world And he he has a couple of really interesting mm -hmm. points too because he he has no family anymore he has no place to go anymore um you know everybody else they all have their family and they yeah. expect him to just kind of it, stay it does, in a barn i don't know if i feel for david but he does have a very hard situation like he doesn't want to pull a tobias and there's be a, a hawk forever um he wants a family wants the comforts that he had before and uh he yeah it, i i feel for him i get where he's coming from 
he also has this really hard time too of just you know assuming that yeah the rest of the animorphs have his best interests at heart um which is it's a lot to process all at once but it's also very much they they would like to keep him safe especially because you know it's a little bit selfish on their end because he knows who they are so if he gets taken over whatever yurk gets access to his brain is going to have all those memories he's going to be able to throw them under the bus um and and really ruin their secrets and and their game plan um so they they need him and he kind of knows that they need him to be secret and safe and he leverages that against them i think a little bit to a very concerning degree it's tough because they they have that selfish reason of needing him to be protected for their own security um and it's re it's really chafing because david's very much like i have no place to go i have nothing to do yeah. um if you're all going to keep me under lock and key like, i i need to get out i need to do things i like and, watch tv he wants to yeah he, there's a point where he breaks into a motel mm -hmm. just so he can hang out at a motel and watch tv but it, it doesn't work yeah uh, it, it doesn't work out you know and they're also they're also surprisingly moral about things there's a, a series or um, a situation pretty early on in book uh 21 where they steal clothes for david because um, he doesn't really know how to morph with his clothes on yet. Yeah. Um, and they end up mailing money to the store. <laughs> to the store to make up for the, the, which is wild. I feel like as a teenager, I wouldn't care about that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think to preserve, um, I don't know, a Tommy Bahama or wherever they're getting their clothes Yeah. From wherever this because they're on a like a boardwalk kind of a thing and there's like a like ron john surf shop that's yeah uh-huh um so i get i i guess i understand why david does what he does but don't agree with it um, right and we get to the point at the end of of book 21 where he's he's now they believe that he's murdered Tobias. Yep. In some, because uh, they get to the motel room and there's a dead red-tailed hawk on the bed and they... Oh, no, he goes back to his house. Or, yeah, yes. Sorry, he goes uh, back to his house. There's yeah. a dead red-tailed hawk on the bed. Um, because he and... won't kill humans, but he yes, will kill other very, animals. Yes, he's very, he's very, almost... There's probably some psychological term for this, mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to call it anything out of turn. But he comes back to that He's because he says it again, uh, and I actually copied that quote down. I wouldn't kill a human, but a bird, a tiger, mm -hmm. sure. Yep. Um, he has no qualms about this. Um, they also, um, after this first chunk of time, um, they... They, they know that Tobias is still alive. Mm -hmm. um, Tobias reveals himself to be alive, but David spends the rest of book 22 not knowing that Tobias is alive. He thinks yeah. he's killed him. It's a great yeah. it's a great little uh, piece of the puzzle to how they finish this off. Like, it's so, yes. it's so good. 
and they they keep him um, out of kind of out of sight. Um, they don't have him communicate because when they're in the morph, they can all communicate through thought speak, but they have him just kind of hang out away from everyone. Mm-hmm. And they do need to wrap up that B plot, and so they figure <laughs> we try to be subtle about it. And so we're done being subtle about it. So they morph into ele- several elephants and several rhinos and just wreak <laughs> havoc on this beach. We never find out which world leader is a controller. We don't. We don't. We have no idea. because They made a huge deal about it. We never find out which one's which. <laughs> but they are like, hey, which animals can withstand a lot of gunshots? Done. Perfect. <laughs> and they just trash a marriott on the coast it feels like the end of a long form show we're like okay it's the third beat of a herald we gotta wrap all of this up uh, I don't know. elephants attack the yeah. hotel <laughs> yep it seems like what we're building up towards yeah it is yeah it is it does feel like a little last minute like oh no we didn't this is the main focus of the first book and we didn't come back to it so now rampage uh-huh. We did and it. then they, they finish with the rampage and they turn back into dolphins and they're gonna swim away, but uh who's waiting for them there? David has somehow gotten a killer whale morph. It's he really, has it's really somehow upsetting. gotten an orca morph. Yeah. I it's my favorite animal or one of them, and it's really upsetting that David uh abused their their powers, you know, their joy. Especially one of the things that they they talk about is that you have to share the brain space with this animal brain yeah that's in with you so you know when they're the dolphins they're talking about like a dolphin's just happy all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. um dolphin's just happy and they have to kind of push those instincts away a little bit yeah in order to kind of maintain control but there are occasions when they they lose control of the morph um, marco in the first book in this series or in this storyline morphs into the cobra and yeah he loses control right. for a minute and accidentally eats axe yeah and he has to spit out <laughs> and he has to demorph immediately which ruins things for them because mm-hmm. he was bitten and when they demorph it kind of it heals them automatically which is a nice which is nice yeah yeah it's a nice ability to have yeah <laughs> they end up uh they end up in a lot of situations and i guess it's about time to kind of talk about something that hit me more as an adult um, than as a kid, and it's the Cronenberg aspect of how they describe morphing. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, lay it on me. Yeah, they so they describe it and they kind of talk about it when David goes through it for the first time, but every time they talk about it, they, they make it very clear that they don't feel anything really it's kind of like they're numbed and they can mm. sort of feel some things but it doesn't hurt and that's it's what more they like a psychological thing yes like a physical and thing. they describe yeah. all of the things that happen to their bodies mm-hmm. when they're morphing what happens to their intestines and the snake what happens to their spine weird. and they're conscious through all of this so they mm-hmm. see all of these things happen to their bodies um all of these changes happen to like the their spine will shoot all the way back out of their body and then they have to kind of stare at it until the morph takes place or their fingers will all blend together there's a couple of times when they're in the middle of talking 
to someone and they can't finish the words that they're saying because something happens to their mouth. Yeah. They need more. They're like, oh, yes, uh, just at that moment, my mouth turned into a beak. And so what I really said was, hey, what about... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at that moment, all of my intestines turned into jello and came up into my throat and they stayed there because that's what happens when you're this particular animal. Or like the snake, how like their arms and legs shot into their body and they just all of a sudden hit yeah. the floor. Um, oh, the amount of times they describe their arms as just withering mm-hmm. away. Or getting, just... was there one where they got more limbs? Was there, did they do? Oh, yeah. Uh, when they're a spider, they get yeah. more limbs. Um, they do, ooh, they, oh, did they do a fly more? No, maybe they didn't. Oh, they do. They do morph into a fly. Uh, cockroach is another uh-huh. one. That's that the one I'm thinking about. Of. Yes. Oh, um, this is the one. This is also the series of books where they morph into, somebody morphs into a dragonfly. And then everybody else morphs yes. into fleas and like bites him on the back. And then they all fly into the hotel. I I think I maybe part of why I stopped reading these two is that it felt like any situation where like death feels imminent, I can't like it. Just like I just shut down, and death always feels imminent. It always books. feels imminent, and that's that's a thing that it's it's harder to stay in that mindset because I mean the more you're exposed to something, the less I guess. Um, intense it becomes over time and so it's one of those things like they are gosh they are just always in these life or death Mm -hmm. situations and it's every book you read it's another another life or death situation for these folks and it's just how do you deal with that day after day um to a point where they they do become disconnected from it almost um i wouldn't say like disconnected in terms of they don't care what's going on but like they have to put some kind of psychological barrier between themselves or they will go crazy i think i mean you have to it, it feels uh, like there's always a, a mess to clean up and it just and i would be exhausted by that especially for folks like like jake and marco whose marco's mother is a controller yeah um jake's brother is a controller was jake was jake a controller one of them got jake does become a controller at one point in time and they end up um killing the yerk involved yeah so apparently yerks have to like re-up their yerk juice every couple of days yeah every uh, three days don't. yeah they have to go to a special pool that gives them gives off these radiation uh this radiation that they mm-hmm. kind of recharge their batteries with before they can go back and and do that um, yeah and i think which they is how they a lot of the time how they figure out who is a controller because they'll yes. just, they know where the pools are some of them, and so they can keep tabs on folks for a few days and see, like, are they going to this place? Because mm-hmm. um, one of the places is like, um, it's just like a local teen hangout. Um, I'm, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but I'm watching, I'm watching through Boy Meets World right now, and so it's like Chubby's for Boy yeah. Meets World, uh, <laughs> or uh, when Sean joins the cult, um, uh huh, which the name of it I can't remember. But it's 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 one of those places. Oh, look where all these teens hang out. Yeah, or that Uh-oh. diner from Saved by the Bell. That one. Yes, that yeah. the Max. Uh huh. That's right. Oh, that's uh. right. Um, yeah. So I guess Jake was one, and they put him in a cabin for like three days, and the yerk died. Starved out. it out. Yeah. Um. So th- I like that there's a way 
that they could like get rid of a yerk if but they i guess like the adults it's a hard time to like there is um in one of the later books and i i remember this because it comes up a lot in an animorphs facebook group um okay they they commit a bit of a genocide because they are able to destroy mm. a blade ship with a bunch of yurks on it um not all of whom are warriors um they, oh yeah there are That's some bad. some people on or some yurks on the board who are civilians and it really it really hits on these themes of, of war and what they have to do in order to kind of survive oh. and save their planet and oh. it crosses into a lot of gray area and speaking of crossing into a gray area we're about to hit right back up on that c plot yep because rachel and rachel and jake are really getting into it with each other um rachel confronts jake because she's like why did you ask for me why did you why did you send axe to come get me do you think that i am the kind of person who will kill somebody if we need to and jake straight up tells her he's like i am actually a little bit scared of like everybody else i think i like i know what they would do when we're done fighting but, but if the war were to end this. tomorrow mm -hmm. i don't know what you would do i think you would be out of everybody else i think you'd be disappointed because i think you found your niche in fighting mm. and if the war were to end tomorrow i i just don't know how you'd respond and i think you'd go looking for another fight because there's also a moment too where um Rachel's gone after David and threatens his family. Um, yes. And David, when they're he's the orca, tells everyone this happened, and like nobody said anything. Nobody's yeah. Like, nobody tells her like, "Oh, it's okay that you did that," but everybody kind of quietly accepts it. Like, like I yeah, don't probably didn't. I believe happen. that yeah. you did this. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's okay that you did this. But she also she also holds him at fork point. She like. She does. Is this, she's dangerously close to jabbing a fork in his ear. Um, she's got some darkness in her. And she sure. tells him that she will absolutely kill his parents if he doesn't quit screwing with them. Yeah. Um, Which I don't. I don't think Rachel would kill anyone without a reason. Right. But I also. I don't know. I, at that point, she'd also been like fighting for days and tired like they're at this point they're like yes. more exhausted than ever been in their entire life they so, um <laughs> she tells us at one point that out of everybody there cassie is the only one that got sleep and it was even that's like still four hours, hours. uh-huh and she was yeah, like real mad at her about it. <laughs> um but then they they get onto this tangent and jake uh is with rachel and they all go with jake's family to see their cousin Sadler at the hospital and they yes. get to the hospital and Sadler has made a miraculous recovery. Yes. Um, there is a moment in an elevator. They're taking him to surgery. Thought he was going to like die. Lights go out. The nurses and doctors with him like disappear, which I don't know. And then all of a sudden Sadler is perfectly healthy again. He's much better. He seems to have recovered from all of his injuries. Um, and then we find out that David has um, taken Sadler from the hospital, um, hidden his body somewhere, and without being connected to um, 
anything, it's very likely that Sadler died. Yeah. Um, I think he was like on his way out. He was on um, his way out, and yeah. so David morphed him and begins some really intense emotional manipulation of the family, because um, Jake and Rachel know, but they can't say anything, because Sadler's family is so happy to have their son back. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle, as far as they're concerned. Um, Part of me, like, uh, it's going to sound weird, like, felt it was, like, almost a good connection for, for David. And, and hear me out. Because he didn't have a family or anyone to care for him, it felt like almost like a good solution if he wasn't a horrible person to like give them this family a son, give him parents, and like kind of just like be done with it. Is that is that wild? I I understand, especially um I don't think it was up to him to make the choice mm, to that's true. end Sadler's life earlier. Yes. Yes, I agree necessary. with that. Yes. Um, they do talk about it later in the book that um, Rachel is having a hard time wrapping her head around after everything is all said and done. Um, they will eventually find Sadler's body. Yeah. Um, that was which, really heartbreaking. Yeah. Because that body is also not going to be completely recovered. There's, that body is still going to have all the injuries. So now Sadler's parents had to go through this whole Thing of like their son made a miraculous recovery but wait all of his they've now found his body and all of those injuries are back and i don't know how they wrap I, their heads with around like the that the old person with this yeah that's oh that's Audrey, devastating you have something to add to the podcast <laughs> he just went outside to go to the bathroom but he's well, we're not here <laughs> so needy um well you're home so why else right? would you be here not to play with you yeah he would usually be sleeping right now <sighs> it's always so funny. david then they all like come to this conclusion that that we got to do something about david yeah um Which and they i thought a... they were gonna kill him like honestly thought they were leading toward killing this they get other away person. they get away with they don't like to kill if they can help it. Yeah. And so, certainly not uh, humans, at least. Um, well. But they also do agree, and they lay it out pretty simply for David um, when they finally do complete their their plan of like you tried to sell us out mm -hmm. to the Yurks. You tried to kill four out of six of us. Um, you took over our cousin and are emotionally manipulating his family. Um, and so they do agree that something has to be done. And David kind of gives them an ultimatum. And Cassie's the one that realizes this. Cassie um, recognizes David's need to kind of stroke his own ego. This entire time over the course of the story, yeah. his ego has been building up and he thinks he is, he's, the be all end all. He's yeah. he's the one. The, this entire alien um, race couldn't bring these six teens to their knees, but he's the one that's that's able to finally get them. Um, Just yeah. All he wants, all he wants, is the blue box, and so he he wants the blue box back. He's gonna go off on his own when he gets it, 
and he's going to maybe make some other people animorphs. And as he says, they're just not going to be as smart as him. They're going to be people that are there to just obey his orders. Yeah, bunch of probably just thieving animals just going on heists and, and mm-hmm. living the good life. Um, and so the plan is they they animals have told him they have hidden the blue box. Axe tells them he can break it down into its basic components. Mm-hmm. It comes apart. And so they broke it apart and they've hidden it um, in All the their, construction yeah. site where mm-hmm. they had initially found it. David even says, I never would have thought to look here again. Uh, but he, he has them. He has them. He has everybody transform into cockroaches, and then he puts them all in a bottle because they can't unmorph yep. without squishing the other people and killing mm-hmm. them. And he tells uh, Rachel to become a rat shoots because she said, so they they hatch this plan in the barn knowing that David is listening, right? So that's why yes, they kind of... Yes, they know that he's listening. He's... Uh-huh. Um, Morphed as a cobra and he's hiding somewhere in the barn listening. Yep. So they yeah. know they have to be rats because uh, Rachel and Cassie were rats to uh, take these pieces to different places and hide them. So he has them. And I, honestly, this whole, it was like the last like 15 pages of the book, I'm on like pins and needles. I'm like so nervous because I know something's going to be done, but like I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm very nervous. Like, that something's going to go wrong, and they're all going to die, and that's the last Nothing has to story. happen, and I know at this point in the series, there are 32 more books right. that have to happen. Um, <laughs> and it is it is just anxiety-inducing, because they've already shown you really early on that they are not afraid to make permanent changes yep. to these characters if necessary. And I think mm-hmm. that's something... That's something... All right, it, this is like a really weird thing, but we do this with the kids that I work with a lot and they tell you not to make empty threats. So if um, you tell like, if you're working in a classroom and you tell a kid that you are going to call their parents, well, guess what? You had better call their parents Yeah. or they are not going to believe that you're going to do these things that you say you're going to do. I was just Um, thinking It's also the same issue. And this is maybe a non sequitur, but it's also the same issue I have with like prequel series of things Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, well, I know this character has to survive until this point because they're in these things so there's only so much that i can reasonably believe that they're in danger while i'm watching this since i know that they have to get to a certain point um but the thing that's really nice i say really nice which is maybe not the way i want to say it but the thing that um is consistent at least about animorphs is that they have shown very early on that they they'll permanently change a character if necessary yeah um there are consequences and we've seen them already there are consequences and we get to see those consequences yeah. and that follow through yep um and so now rachel and david are rats <laughs> there's just gonna be a background side there's gonna be a background of my dog yeah. who is maybe an animorph being a real pain in the butt right now <laughs> he just went out to go to the bathroom so i know he doesn't mean to <laughs> Uh, enjoy, enjoy the 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 dog sounds in the background uh <laughs> which i love um yeah so they're both rats uh they've uh david has trapped the other animorphs in the in a pepsi bottle yep um it's bo- yeah it's a bottle of pepsi oh a plastic bottle i'm thinking glass yeah no it is glass yeah it's a glass bottle it's um... a glass bottle <laughs> 
<laughs> the Animorphs are in the Pepsi bottle. Um, Rachel and David are rats. They're going through um, these small pipes to ostensibly collect these pieces of the blue box to put them back together for David. Um, and it does not take very long, uh, 13 minutes to be exact, for them to get the first piece um, of the blue box, at which point, and this is horrifying, um, Rachel tries to escape. Mm -hmm. And David grabs onto her tail, and Rachel chews through her own tail. So quickly, too. Like it's so, so quickly, um, she chews through her own tail. David falls back, and then it is revealed that David is now trapped. Mm -hmm. um, they have trapped him, and what? Everybody's out of the bottle, but how could that have possibly happened? <laughs> Oh, Tobias! Uh, then now we get the big reveal for David, at least, that Tobias has been alive this entire time. Um, that David had just killed a rando bird that he thought was Tobias. Um, and Tobias let everybody out of the bottle, which they then revealed they had purposely left out so David would see it and get the idea to trap them all inside. Like we played uh, you on your ego. We knew we knew exactly what you were going to do. So we laid this whole trap for you. Then the big reveal is that Cassie is the one who came up with this plan. Yep. Um and then David starts the the bargaining aspect of things and he says, "All right, this is fine. Um you've beaten me." Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. I, I, you can now let me go. I will be on my way. I'll leave you all. Um, and then everybody gets really uncomfortable. Yeah. And they start kind of turning away. And Axe says that by his calculations, David has been in Morph for about 13 minutes. Yep. And then that other shoe drops and David realizes what their plan is for, for him. And the plan is to trap him in the rat morph. Yeah. Um, so that he can never escape. And they do let him know again that it's they can't risk letting him go. Um, and they also can't risk the enemy finding him. Yep. Um, he's been proven, you know, to be too unreliable, too unpredictable, and dangerous. He because when they has, um when they got trapped in the all, hotel, tried to go backwards. Yeah. Uh, Visor 3 was like, come out, and David ran right out, right up to yeah. Visor 3, and was like, take me. Take I'll me, do I don't want. I don't care about these people. Yeah. I am gonna gladly join your side. Um, he tried to sell them out. He yep. has attacked their families. Yep. Um, and they attacked have them. come to the they have come to the conclusion he cannot be trusted, and he cannot be let go. Yeah. Um, for their safety, and for generally the safety of the human race. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's something I don't think David ever was able to wrap his head around. It's a lot to process. And so if I feel anything for David, it's that I really don't know that he was able to necessarily fully comprehend the stakes yeah. that he was playing with. Yeah. 
because so many of so many of the things that he does are so small scale. They're so personal, um, and the animorphs are coming from a place of like, no, this is an intergalactic thing. Um, and they've been doing it for a while at this point too. So yeah. like, he had to play or try and play catch up very quickly, and failed. Like, and he he took the martyr route of like, why is this happening to me? This, right. you know, you all are doing this to me. It's personal for me. And he doesn't get like, no, it's personal for all of us. Right. Like, our families are also involved. Like, we're trying to explain this to you. We don't know what you're not getting. Um, yeah. And so David gets trapped in a rat morph. Um, yeah. What an awful morph. <laughs> Just... and, he, and then Rachel... And Axe volunteer to see it through. And they wait with him for two hours until he's fully trapped, listening to him Begging. scream inside their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel Rachel tells him to leave, to be clear. Rachel tells him to go because I think she knows she's stronger than they are in this capacity. Yes. Um she she has i guess the constitution to see it through yes. um and she's kind of made a little bit more peace with, with being somebody that mm-hmm. that has to make those tough choices and yep. being the member of the team that they're going to call when they need to get their hands dirty yeah um because Rachel while she has qualms she also does understand that it's it's for the greater good. Yeah. Um, oof, but, but she that does acts... kind of. Oh yeah. Well, so she does kind of lose some of that. I think she had more excitement with it, and she kind of loses it after this encounter. Yes. Uh, um, this is, I think, the first time in the series where it it's inhumane what yeah. they have to do. Yeah. And it's the first time that Rachel, like, Rachel's always been, like, gung-ho. I have no problem going into a place, busting stuff up. I'll be a bear. But it's the first time, time, yeah. But it's the first time she's ever had to be inhumane about how she's been going about this. Um, and even X, who has, who's been fighting the Yurks for a long yeah. time, he says to her when they're on the way back, they take David... Um, to an island off the coast. I think and it's they... near the hotel. Yes, it's near. I think it's um, near the Marriott, and, they and rats already live there. So they're like, "Oh, there must be a supply of food." Yeah. So we're at least leaving him somewhere where there's food. He won't mm-hmm. starve to death. Yeah. Um, but there are two things that are just haunting mm-hmm. at the very end of this series, at the very yes. end of this book, and the one is Axe who has been doing this for such a long time. He's lost his older brother mm-hmm. um, to the this fight. And then um, he even tells Rachel on the way back, he says, you know, I, I think I will never talk about this again. Yeah. I This is something... Uh, that even he can't deal with. Even he can't wrap his yeah. head around. And he's been fighting these yurts for forever. Forever. And it's the first time he's ever had to do something like this. Can I guess the second one? Yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, is it when they drop off David and they hear him go, no. And then 
and then Some going back at their school says they think the rock is haunted because they hear a voice crying hello or help uh yeah. which is probably also david yeah <sighs> they've created a local haunted spot by trapping someone in a rat morph who's just <laughs> screaming in their thoughts for someone, anybody to help uh, him. And the only thing it's doing is driving people away from the island because they think it's now haunted. Oh. Uh, uh, what a. Oh, and they man. marketed this towards young adults. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I want to say, even like a middle grade. Or yeah. is it YA? It's got font like a, a great novel. <laughs> so I just looked, and this, according to Amazon, is a book for 9 to 12 year olds. So this is like middle grade. Nine year olds. Nine to 12. Yeah. This is a middle grade. Oh, novel. my goodness. Yeah. So I guess that, like. Which, I mean, makes sense because I was about that age when I, I read this for the first time. But um, as an adult, those more intense aspects of the story really stuck with me and as a kid especially i was certainly team animorphs i'm like they did yeah. the right thing i was a hundred percent on like impressionable youth i was a hundred percent on board um and i was like there's i have i have no issues with them doing this uh so i guess as a question would you give this book as a gift you know, would you introduce it to someone who's around this age uh, and let them read these these novels that we read as children? Oh, boy. I, you know, I would if it was like a, a teen, probably a teen. I think I lean closer to teen now um, than maybe a nine-year-old, but I I think I would, if only because it's certainly one of the first books where I can remember that they they won, but there is some kind of cost. Yeah. Um, it it does a really great job of tackling that gray area where yes, they won. They did the things, they accomplished everything they set out to do but it doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. This did not get wrapped up with a uh, happy bow on it. Um, this really took a big emotional toll yeah. on everybody. And I think that if I were to go back and reread the series now as an adult, I think something that would maybe stick out to me a lot more is that they don't sugarcoat the emotional toll that it takes on everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. And it really is like a depiction of of war. Um, and what are these hard decisions that we have to make in war? And who who do we have to bring onto our sides? What choice? Like, what tough choices do we have to make? And what do you do when there is not a great choice. Um, worth pointing out for those folks who do want to go um, revisit this series, David does come back. Spoiler alert. Ooh. In the later <laughs> books, um, the Animorphs have a lot of dealings with other extraterrestrial 
uh, and interdimensional beings. And one of them called Prayak um, makes a deal with David. And David comes back in another Rachel book. Oh, and no, if David can, yep, if David can persuade Rachel to abandon her friends and join him, then Krayak would restore David to his human form. Um, Which is what he said before. He, he said he says like Rachel, if if another time we could have actually hung out, I would have asked you to come join me. Like he yes. admires Rachel, even though they don't get along. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's because he sees he sees that kindred spirit in Rachel, and I think that's what Rachel struggles with, because yeah. David sees a lot of himself in her, and Rachel gets so concerned because Jake sees a lot of that in her. Um, but Jake understands the benefit of having Rachel, and he knows that Rachel at least has the moral compass that he wants on on their side, whereas right. David, Rachel, Rachel is doing all of these things in service of the greater good. She's going to get her hands dirty for the larger battle that they need to fight, but David is getting his hands dirty for him. Right. It's always about him. It's personal for him, and it it's one of those things where if Rachel gives in to her darker impulses, then there is no difference between her and David. But she doesn't, um, so, yeah. And I think that's, and that's such an intense thing to put into a, a young adult novel as well. And um, on a young adult, too. Like, the, like these kids are, yes. what, eighth, ninth grade, middle school? Like, they're not very old, either. Um, no, they're about 16. I don't think any of them actually have their driver's licenses yet. No, otherwise it'd be a lot easier to get around. Um, I don't know they'd fly, but... And um, they, it's something where it's it's so in the writing style too it's so nonchalant where they're like yeah you know we just go hang out at the mall and get good grades and then at night i morph into a grizzly and i fight aliens to save our planet and, my and then i go back and i do it all the same right like i go to school and i get good grades and i study or sometimes i have to cut class and go do this thing and but it's like again where are the parents um, um <laughs> I... would i yeah well, I was going to say, I, I think the thing with these books, too, is that I think you don't pick up on all of the things when you read this the first time. So no. maybe a lot of the darker parts aren't as, like, and not harmful, but just, like, they just don't, you just don't understand it. Um, but I think for our 12-year-old, this is, this could be an interesting read for them. I, I think it's say. a good, it's a good jumping off point, and I think yeah. it really kind of helps it helps you kind of clarify those decisions and it really doesn't sugarcoat war in like such a way that yeah. you know like star wars does where it's very clear who's good who's evil yeah um, and the even... good the good characters so seldom have to make the those tough those hard... yeah. choices mm -hmm. um and there's also so there's also like in addition to like this this very intense subject matter and these intense choices that they have to make um the other thing i i would definitely recommend um this series to kids for is uh the diversity in the cast That's very uh, true. of everything like there's yeah. a lot of really good representation um and i i made a note 
of um it's just like some throwaway lines especially in the first book where it's marco's point of view i even wrote down you know is marco an lgbtqia plus icon um they <laughs> mention they mention um in in the book that axe has taken all of their dna yes um, he and he is able to morph into a human that melts like all of their dna into once yeah. and um in both rachel and marco's books he does this morph and then both rachel and marco describe him as a pretty faced man yeah with all, all of these things mm -hmm. um and he is into it marco's into it um <laughs> and I mean, he, yeah he definitely is into girls though because he definitely is Ugh. um <laughs> In a gross... But it's just like those throwaway, those throwaway lines where I'm like, is there's more, there's more going on here that they're it not touching be. on yeah. just yet. Although it's a very hard time to explore sexuality when you're constantly fighting for your life. I mean, when do you have time to even like people? Or... But it's those little, those little throwaway lines. Yeah. Um, Could be. That get you. We don't know. Um, I mean, we know that uh, KG Applegate is a is a good egg who. Yes, Supports she's trans a, um, kids, a trans so. rights advocate. Yeah. Her yeah. daughter is trans, um, yeah. and she is often photographed out supporting the cause. Um, yeah, which we're here for. We stand. Um, so much better series than that other one by that other person that we're not going to mention. <laughs> it's, you know, it's nice that when you have characters that can transform and change their appearances and change their actual bodies and take on other forms that you know even though it is fiction and it is sci-fi that you can take that time to recognize other people who may be going through those similar changes and who may be recognizing the real parts of themselves and i think it's um you know a little bit hypocritical of some other children's authors to maybe not recognize uh, that those characters that they've created who have inspired so many people are inspiring them for a reason mm -hmm. and that you know maybe you could support that it's not that hard <laughs> yeah it's really not yeah shoot somebody else will even make you a t-shirt you don't even have to make your own it's true all you have to do is say you come out and support it and i bet you 10 bucks you get t-shirts sent to you through fan mail so many t-shirts uh -huh. <laughs> um yeah, I think we touched on a lot of things. I will say the I read the first like few pages of the next book that are at the yeah. end of this book, and yes. I kind of want to go tr track it down. It's intriguing. It's a, a Tobias one. So, you know, I have to get over my Tobias bias. Uh, <laughs> 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 and I might go. I might go find it. Continue this animal journey. Um, well, thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great book to talk about. Yeah, this is a great little deep dive into part of my childhood I needed to get over. So thank you for, for taking me on this journey with you. Absolutely. I mean, there's parts of these books that are um, very scary. And then there's parts of these books that will haunt you in a more ethereal yeah. way. <laughs> 100%. And I, I think yeah. um, I don't know. I like when a, I like when a book stays with you, and I like I like when a book can make you think about these things. Um, and it really it does put I think the concept of war into a different light for 
younger for a younger audience yeah um, way that like hunger games does a little mm -hmm. bit as well um but it's it's a lot of young people that have to make a lot of very hard choices and i think that's something pardon me you see a lot of today yeah. um we're very inundated with um a lot of news from around the world and i think something that isn't isn't thought of when we're hearing about these different kinds of news stories is that there are there are young people that are constantly having to make um these choices not in an intergalactic level but um at just a very basic day-to-day -day level and i think this really puts a lot of the psychology behind those choices into play and it really is a, a very interesting way of showcasing it for a young adult reader yeah 100 percent. i agree with that um in a way that they can understand it and start to process those things so yeah, yeah. well yeah. yeah well thanks again uh until next time happy reading Momo's Bookcase is created, edited, and produced by me, Morgan Phillips Potts, and our theme music is by Nia D'Amelio. For more information about Momo's Book Club, follow us at Momo's Book Club on all platforms, or go to www.momosbookclub.com. Momo's Bookcase is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com 